Now let's turn in God's word to Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 12, and we're reading from the first verse. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. One common feature of many churches, both evangelical and other is what we might term one-man ministry. A situation where uh, one individual is in leadership, probably, as it were, the trained professional, someone who has been uh, through theological training, perhaps practical training, uh, and all the, uh, the work of ministry falls on that particular individual. The multi staff Mega churches are very much the exception. Uh, we perhaps tend to, to notice them, especially uh, in some of the, the recent scandals in mega churches. Uh, and that underlines perhaps uh, the dangers in ministry, especially if one individual uh, is in leadership. There are extra uh, pressures and temptations. And yet, that is the model often uh, that is followed, even where. Uh, a pastor also has secular employment, sometimes called bivocational ministry. Very often still it is one individual who leads, who teaches, who basically performs the work of ministry. And that has proven dangerous both to pastor and to congregation. For the pastor there are the temptations to enjoy the exercise of power, perhaps become proud and enjoy the lack of restraint uh, on his actions. 
but he comes vulnerable also to pressures from different factions and congregations and weaknesses at times can be exposed. Now in biblical Presbyterianism, we believe the pattern is of elders exercising oversight. There are or there should be safeguards against those dangers. There's a corporate leadership that ought to bring a balance in the oversight and the leadership of God's people. But of course, any system is only as good as the people who are actually putting it into practice. And a fully biblical picture of the church, the biblical model of church, isn't of one man or even a small group of people doing the work of the church. The biblical view of the church looks beyond the activity of just one group and shows that all Christians have gifts uh, that are to be used in the life and the work and the ministry of Christ's church. And so that we turn our attention today. We're continuing our spiritual checkup uh, today. This is study number seven. To ask the question, do you use your gifts? Do you use your gifts? I've already seen how the church is a body, It's not a collection of individuals. And now we're thinking of how the Lord's people engage in the life and work of the church. Do you use your gifts? We think first of all of the giver of the gifts. The giver of the gifts. The source of the gifts ultimately, of course, is the triune God. It is God who gives gifts to his church to his people. But we can be more specific than that as we look at what Scripture has to say in this area. We note, first of all, Ephesians 4 and verse 7. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So they're underlining that particular role of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. By his atoning death and his triumphant resurrection, he has purchased everything that his people will need. The supply of gifts for ministries included in that. That's very significant. Again, still Ephesians 4 and verse 8. At the resurrection, we are told, and the ascension of Christ back to the right hand of the Father, he gave gifts to men. So above all, Christ provides gifts, and the supreme gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's important we remember that the greatest gift that Christ gives to his church is the Holy Spirit, the one who was poured out at Pentecost, as Acts chapter 2 records for us. So the greatest gift of Christ isn't this or that ability or uh, this particular office. It's the Holy Spirit. And so the Son of God gives gifts. He's purchased them. He supplies them. But we say something more about the giver of the gifts. And the emphasis particularly in the New Testament is on the third person of the Trinity, on the Holy Spirit. He distributes the gifts that Christ has purchased. This is very Trinitarian because the Son and the Spirit both are engaged in this work 
overseen by the Father. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts that Christ has purchased. And so when Paul is listing spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, this is what we read. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. He gives them to each one just as he determines. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11. He gives them to each one just as he determines. So the Holy Spirit is the distributor of the gifts that Christ has secured for his church, for his people. That's a vital aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We must never neglect the third person of the Trinity. Here he is as the giver of gifts to the Lord's people. So he doesn't just shape our character in sanctification. He does that. He makes us holy people. But he also equips us to be serving people, to be doing the work of Christ's church. So the Holy Spirit that we look as the giver, as the poor right of gifts upon the people of God, gifts with which we serve the Lord. So as we're thinking of do you use your gifts, first of all, the giver of the gifts, the triune God, gifted or purchased by the Son and distributed by the Holy Spirit, the giver of the gifts. But then secondly, we want to think about the diversity of gifts. The diversity of gifts. The New Testament provides us with several lists of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to Christ's church. We read one there in Romans 12. That was the purpose in reading that passage in verses 6 Uh, 7 and 8 particularly provide a, a range of gifts that the Holy Spirit confers upon the church. Paul writes, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. And a number of examples then are provided. He mentions a gift of prophesying, for example, or serving, encouraging, and so forth. Even another list uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, in verses 8, 9, and 10. Uh, and indeed, there too, we see that some of the gifts are people, people for a particular office in the Christian church. In Ephesians 4, we're told in verse 11 that the Lord gives apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers to his church. The important thing to keep in mind is that all God's people are gifted. We we do have that expression of gifted children and so on. Maybe it's not as much in vogue uh, these days in a day when everybody's exactly equal and exactly the same, but you understand the concept. But every Christian is gifted. He gives to each one, 1 Corinthians 12 11. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not have gifts. And of course you encounter Christians sometimes and perhaps they're 
Uh, they want uh, to be unassuming and, and modest. I have no gifts. Now, those other people, they have lots of gifts, but I don't have any. And it sounds very humble and very spiritual, but it's not biblical. It's actually saying, you know better than God, because God says he has given you gifts. You may not have discerned them. You may not even recognize some of the abilities you have are gifts from God. But Scripture says every believer is gifted. And we are contradicting Scripture if we say, I don't have any gifts. You do. You may need to discover them. You may need help to discover them and use them, but you have them. God says so. And it's striking in Scripture the diversity of gifts that are mentioned. And you read through those lists in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, and they're not designed to be exhaustive lists that every possible gift is mentioned there. I think these are examples of the kinds of gifts that the Lord gives his church. They're not an exhaustive catalogue, as if if it's not mentioned there, it can't be a gift that the Holy Spirit gives. Now, some of them are clearly supernatural gifts. It talks about healing and about prophecy. We don't have time to go into this today, but I believe those miraculous gifts were for the apostolic age, and we're not to expect or to seek them uh, in the present day. But many of the gifts that are mentioned seem probably quite ordinary to us. Uh, nothing spectacular about them. You might not even be inclined to think of them as spiritual gifts. In Romans 12, 8, encouraging, contributing to the needs of others, showing mercy. And our reaction might be, well, those are very ordinary things. Don't think of those as spiritual gifts. But Paul, the Lord, says they are. They are part of the Spirit's provision for the church to do its work and ministry. It may be sometimes the Spirit gives a Christian an entirely new gift that he didn't have before. That's certainly possible. No doubt it happens. But some of the gifts would seem to be the Holy Spirit enhancing abilities that the Christian already has. That someone who's given the gift of encouragement may temperamentally, with their personality, be an encouraging kind of person. And now, by God's grace, as a believer in the church, that's blessed by the Spirit, enhanced perhaps by the Spirit, and they become a particular encourager among Christians. And I think often it is the case the Spirit enhances and blesses abilities that maybe were already there even before conversion. There's a tremendous range of possibilities. We're not to think narrowly about the gifts of the Spirit there are some circles you mention gifts of the Spirit and immediately think it must be tongues, must be prophecy, must be some miraculous word of knowledge from God. But the overwhelming majority of instances that Scripture gives are these kinds of apparently very ordinary 
abilities, very down to earth. Some surprising, perhaps. 1 Corinthians 12 and 28, uh, Paul mentions gifts of administration. How often do we think of being a good administrator as a gift to the church? And yet, of course, if we lack them, we can very quickly find uh, we have all sorts of difficulties. So just because we might not immediately be excited by the mention of a particular gift or think it all that important, if God gives the gift, then it is important and it is significant. And we do need to be aware of constructing a hierarchy of gifts. Sometimes perhaps we're Careless as we talk about pastors as the highest calling of God. We know what people mean when they say that, but there's a risk of a, of a hierarchy. He's important, she's not. She's quite important, he really doesn't matter at all. And we can have that sort of mindset that's very characteristic of the world's thinking. And it shouldn't filter into the church of Jesus Christ. We can exalt some gifts and devalue others in a way that isn't biblical. And the truth is, if a gift is from God, then it's valuable. And we dare not say a gift that God has given doesn't really matter or isn't particularly significant. If God saw fit to give it, then it's valuable. There are, of course, some gifts that are recognized officially by the church uh, in ordination to office. The gifts for pastors and teachers, uh, for example. But all Christians are to use their gifts. All Christians have gifts to use to fulfill the work of the church. No one can sit back and say, I don't have to do anything because I don't have any gifts. The Lord gave you gifts. Peter, 1 Peter 4 uh, and verse 10 writes, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. God's grace in its various forms. And the, the, the word Peter uses is quite interesting. Uh, it, it wouldn't be inaccurate to say God's multicolored grace. And that's what it is. And the richness of God is reflected in the richness of the gifts that he gives to his church. The giver of the gifts. The diversity of the gifts. We have all got gifts. If you don't discern them, perhaps help is needed to discern them, to use them. And of course, we know our own hearts. And sometimes the I've got no gifts is a way of not having to take responsibility or do things in the church. The diversity of the gifts. Thirdly, the purpose of the gifts, the purpose of the gifts. You may think this is a bit obvious. Why do we need to stop and think of the purpose of the gifts? But there are various 
elements that make up the purpose of the gift. Just two things that I want to mention. There's a lot more we could say, but two things in particular. First of all, thinking of the purpose of the gifts, they're to equip the church to carry out its mission. They're to equip the church to carry out its mission. Until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again in glory, the church has work to be doing. And by giving gifts to his people, the Lord Jesus is ensuring that that work is done fully, that it's done according to his will and his pattern. He doesn't just give us a job to do, but he gives us the tools to do it with. He gives us the gifts that we need. Notice the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in particular had a, a witnessing missional purpose. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. A strong link between the pouring out of the Spirit and witness and mission, proclamation of the gospel. And to all the gifts that are needed for the mission of the church to bring the good news of salvation to the ends of the earth provided by the Spirit. And we mustn't miss that missional dimension to spiritual gifts. Yes, therefore, the health and the, the growth of God's people for the fellowship of the church, but they are also for reaching out with the gospel. And so the gifts that Christ gives to his people are to bring the word of hope and of life to a world that's in darkness. Christ provides, of course, those ordained to office in his church in the New Testament, the apostles and the prophets, now pastors and teachers, the language of Ephesians 4. And what is the role of the pastors and teachers? It's not to do all the work of ministry. Ephesians 4, uh, 12, it's to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Uh, it's interesting in the authorized version, the translation uh, of Ephesians 4.12 sets it up so that uh, the work of service is done by the pastors and teachers. That's not what the verse is saying. It's all of God's people who do the work of service, the work of ministry. And pastors and teachers are to prepare and to equip and to instruct God's people to enable believers to use their gifts. It's not a biblical pattern that pastors or pastors and elders do all the work of the church and everyone else sits and watches them. It's that pastors and elders equip God's people and provide opportunity for them to serve and to use their gifts and develop their gifts. And all do the work of service. All do the work of ministry. In New Testament terms, every Christian's a minister. Uh, we've fallen uh, into the form of words uh, that pastors are the ministers. 
But that's never actually the case in New Testament terminology. All God's people serve. All God's people minister. Yes, there are those with gifts recognized by the church as pastors and teachers. But they are not the ministers. They're among all God's people who minister, who serve. And the aim of every Christian, Paul sets out in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 12, excel in gifts that build up the church. That's what we all long for, to have gifts and to use gifts that will build up the church in all kinds of ways. We'll take in bodies as well as souls that will nurture God's people, that will support them, that will send them out as witnesses into the world. And so we ought always to be asking the Lord to show us our gifts. We need to be examining the work we do, even as a congregation, to make sure that what we are doing is building up the church of Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's possible in churches to slip into being a kind of social club with all sorts of activities that may actually contribute nothing to building up the church of Jesus Christ and reach out with the gospel. Something we ought always to keep under review. That's the first purpose of the gifts then, to equip the church to carry out its mission. But then the second thing, and maybe something we never have thought about, but secondly, as the purpose of the gifts, it's to provide a foretaste of the age to come. A foretaste of the age to come. Now, the New Testament, as you know, shows already as believers we experience something of the life of the age to come, a foretaste of heaven on earth. That's what our Christian life fundamentally is. We are now in the kingdom of God. Now, the full enjoyment of eternal life awaits the return of the Lord Jesus in glory, the resurrection. The perfection hasn't come yet. But already we experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We experience his ministry. We experience the gifts he gives to us. And that is a foretaste of the glory that lies ahead of us. If this is what we now have, what will glory be like? And these different gifts that we have are not spoiled by sin, that they're not limited in any way, and we will be encouragers, we will be people uh, who are able to help one another in every conceivable way. It will be rich life that we enjoy in the glory to come. And this is a small foretaste. Our knowledge will be perfect. Our faith will be complete. The unity of God's people that we enjoy now, that sometimes is damaged, sometimes is spoiled, will be perfect and unspoiled in the age to come. So the gifts we have, the life we live as God's people together is a foretaste of the age to come. 
And it will be beyond our wildest imagination when we finally experience it. What will that be like? I don't know. But it will be what we already enjoy multiplied infinitely. We have a foretaste of the age to come. The purpose of the gifts then to equip the church to carry out its mission and to provide a foretaste of the age to come. Giver of the gifts, diversity of the gifts, purpose of the gifts. Just a final word about the responsibility of the gifts. The responsibility of the gifts. It is a great blessing to be given gifts for service, isn't it? But great blessings bring great responsibilities. Jesus says, Luke 12, 48, everyone who has been given much, of him much will be demanded. That's a sobering thought. If we are given gifts, the Lord expects us to use them. You not take any excuses. Oh, Lord, if you'd known my circumstances, Lord, if I did more opportunity, Lord, if I did better education, Lord, if, if, if. And Lord won't take excuses for not using our gifts. There's an accounting now, of course, within the church, the discipline of Christ's church, under the oversight of the elders that Christ gives. We seek to encourage God's people to use gifts, to look for opportunities for them, perhaps to prod them if we feel they're not using their gifts. There's an accountability. Of course, the great accountability is at the last day. It won't be before any earthly church leaders that we'll be standing. It'll be before Christ, the King and Head of the Church. Matthew 25 portrays the scene. Remember the sheep and the goats, and the Lord exercising judgment. But it's interesting, true believers, those who really belong to Christ, will discover they have been serving the Lord, sometimes in ways they didn't realize. Lord, when did we see you in prison and visit you? Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you? They weren't serving and using their gifts with a view to building up merit and earning a reward from the Lord. But the Lord loves us people so much that he rewards us for doing the service we're meant to do. And Christians will get surprises. Well, there will be those, of course, who will discover work they thought they were doing for the Lord really was for themselves. But others will discover that service they did that they never really thought much about, they just did it. And got on with it and used their gifts. And the Lord sees it and values it and rewards it. He says to his people there, Matthew 25, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Faithful use of our gifts will be rewarded in God's grace. There will be greater rewards and lesser. We'll not be discontent, of course, with whatever reward we receive. We'll be fully satisfied. But service for the Lord, use of the gifts the Lord gives will never be overlooked by Christ. Sometimes it's overlooked 
in his church. Sometimes service isn't noticed, but it's always noticed by Christ. And when the accounting is made at the last day, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Do you use your gifts? The Lord's given them to you. He expects you to use them. Seek opportunity to use them for his glory and for the benefit of his church. By his enabling, may we be those who use whatever gifts he's given us. We value them. We value them in other believers. And look forward to the well done from Christ the King.